Amen. We are in week four of our series, Let Christmas Be Christmas. And I pray over the last few weeks, you have found yourself uh, not giving into, not being consumed by some of the cultural pull to be uh, overwhelmed, to feel Christmas crazy, as we talked about in our first week, uh, to honestly let your heart and your mind just center on the reality of what this season's all about which is the coming of Christ and the celebration of our Savior who was born all those many years ago. And we've covered a lot of ground in this series so far. And if you missed any one of the weeks previously, uh, you can go online on northgoodland.org or you can go on our app, Northgoodland BC, in your app store. And you can find all the previous messages. You can also find notes uh, for today's message. Uh, so if you go into the app and you go into uh, media, then messages, and you'll find today's date. Um, all the, the verses, all the passages that we're going to be talking about this morning, um, obviously we're not going to turn to all of them this morning with the time, obviously, that we have, but we are going to make sure that uh, they're, they're available to you. So if you want to go ahead and do those studies on your own, they are available on the app there. And obviously, as we always try to say or mention, if you would like a copy of my notes, we can do that as well. Just let me know. I can send them to you for your own personal study. Uh, but we are so thankful to get into the Word this morning, to celebrate Christmas, and to be thankful for what the Lord has done. Amen. In the back, I heard that. That, that was an amen. I don't know if you caught that. That was an amen. Hallelujah. Um, but we are so thankful to celebrate Christmas this morning. Um, next week, as we're finishing up the series today, uh, next week, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, we're going to be talking about the day after Christmas. Uh, what do we do the day after Christmas? And so we're going to unpack a lot of things that I pray will be an encouragement to you. So plan on joining us next Sunday. Again, this coming Wednesday, we will not have our normal Wednesday evening service. Uh, and then Sunday evening next week, we will not have an evening service. And so we'll be joining together tonight for Christmas Eve. Pray that you'll be with us for a great time of music and celebration. And then we'll see you again Sunday morning. And then again, we'll pick up again, I think, the next Wednesday. So again, a lot of different things going on. So please pay attention to the calendar on the app and everything as well. And let me say this, because I forgot to mention it before. If you're visiting with us uh, for the very first time, or if you visited before, and you've never filled out a, a visitor card, a connection card, uh, we would love to have you do that today. Uh, you can fill those out. They're in the seat backs in front of you and around you. You can fill one of those out today. Drop that by our Next Steps area, which is at the Welcome Center. And we'd love to give you just a free gift, uh, a way of saying thank you for being here today and some information about our ministry. We'd love to get to know you a little bit better. So be sure to do that if you have not done so already. But if you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, turn to Luke chapter 2. We've been in Luke 2 uh, three of the four weeks. Last week, we took a little bit of a, a detour into the Old Testament, into Isaiah. 
But this morning we're going to go back into the text that we've kind of been using every week, Luke chapter 2. Now, as you're turning there, Luke chapter 2, and if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you on your phone or in print, uh, in the seats around you, there are some Bibles. You can grab one of those and use one of those. Uh, If you're using one of those, you can actually just uh, turn to page 716. So page 716, if you're using one of the Bibles provided, Luke chapter 2. But to kind of get our minds on what we're going to be talking about this morning, I just want to kind of ask and and kind of just throw it out there. How many of you uh, have enjoyed receiving birth announcements. You like when you get a birth announcement in the mail or online. You like hearing about those things, right? We all love that. But if you think about it, a birth announcement is an amazing time to celebrate with family and friends, to rejoice in what God is doing, what God has done, to be excited for them, to be thankful for what the Lord is doing. And we get to kind of hear their joy and experience that in a great way. Now, usually though, it really doesn't hit us as much as when it's a family member or a friend. We love hearing about it, but it's different when it's somebody that we really know. But I was thinking about this this last week. When it comes to certain families in our world, everyone wants to know. And I was thinking Catherine, right? When they had their first child, everybody wanted to know the details. Everybody wanted to know what was going on with the royal family and all of that. And I thought about that as we were kind of preparing for Christmas and this series, thinking about the fact that when it comes to the royal family, everyone wants to know. They want all the details. It's great when it's somebody that you know personally, your family member, your friend, but really it doesn't make a huge difference. But globally, it seems like, now you may still not be interested if you're not interested in the royal family, but it seems like it gets reported everywhere. It's reported everywhere what's going on with the royal family. Because the royal birth announcement means a little bit more to our world. And so I want to talk this morning about the birth announcement of the first Christmas. And how that birth announcement rings through all of history. And it rings even into our lives today. I want to discover the wonder and the joy and the fulfillment that is found in that very first birth announcement received that first Christmas night. Now again, if we're honest, that first birth announcement really didn't receive that much attention from the world. Humanity really didn't give much credence to that birth announcement. But all of heaven, all of creation, really, in that moment was changed. You see, all of heaven paid attention to what was going on that sleepy night in Bethlehem. It may have only drawn the attention of a few shepherds and some wise men, but all of heaven was paying attention and rejoicing in what took place as we read in Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 9. Luke chapter 2 and verse 9. We've read this text a few times already this series, but again, I pray it's an encouragement to you. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. We just sang that this morning. 
And so I pray that when you sang glory to God in the highest, it wasn't just because it was some words on the screen. I pray because it was the cry of your heart. You sang out and said, no, because of what happened 2,000 years ago, because Christ came to us, Emmanuel, God with us, we rejoice and we praise and we give all glory to God. And it is in the highest because he deserves the highest amount of praise and honor. And we lift the name of Christ up this morning. We celebrate Christmas because it is a time that God sent his son to us. And not because he had to, but because he chose to. He decided that God had committed to say, we will do what is needed to save mankind. And everything that was needed from the planning of salvation to the implementation of it, to the sealing of those who are saved and to the future glorification for those that are in Christ, it is all finished because Christ came. And so we rejoice this morning and we sing and we praise glory to God. Not glory to us, not glory to you, not glory to mankind, glory to God in the highest. And so we read this birth announcement. Now I know some of you and maybe some of the ladies that are listening this morning, you don't really like this birth announcement because there's some missing details. Well, how much did he weigh? How long was he? That's born. This is where he is. Praise. They just omit all of that. Look, he was born. This is where he is. Praise God. I love when, when women ask men about a birth of a baby. Well, well, what happened? Well, the baby was born. Well, yeah, but how's the baby? What, what's the weight and the length? And the, the, the baby was born. And it's a boy. It's all I got. Because see, guys, we don't really need to know all that. We need to know if we're buying a gift, is it a boy or a girl? Okay, now I know what I need to buy. And we know the baby was born. I got to buy the gift. That's all we need to really worry about. Everything else is up to the ladies to figure out. But here we see this declaration, this announcement of Jesus being born and laid in a manger. Let's pray and ask God to affirm these things. Father, we give you all praise and all glory. We just declare with the angels that night that you are worthy of all praise because it is good news and great joy to all people that we can come to Christ and be saved from our sins. We can have eternal life gifted to us apart from what we do, but fully because of what you've done. So Lord, as we celebrate you this morning and we honor you and we praise you, I pray that we would know that this birth announcement of the one who was born king is worthy of all praise. And so, Lord, as we go through your word this morning, as we look at various passages and different things, I pray that you'd give us wisdom and understanding. And, Lord, I pray that we that know you as our Lord and personal Savior, that we will submit to you as king, that we will submit to your authority freely and joyfully because we know you have the best for us. But Father, I'm not naive enough to not know that there are those in this room, there are those watching online, midst and some watching online because this is true of humanity. That we might say the words, 
We might give lip service to the king. But we have not bowed our hearts and our minds and our very wills and submitted them to the kingship of Jesus Christ. So I pray that as we go through the message this morning celebrating you, the Lord-born King, that there would be those in this room and those watching online that would make a decision to evaluate their standing before you and say, you know, I, I need to submit to him. He is Lord. He is my King. And I believe that when we come to Christ, that's what we're declaring. We receive the gift of salvation, the gift of grace, and we find eternal life. And it's all by grace through faith. It's just believing and trusting in Christ. But in so doing, we humble ourselves and repent of our sins. And in humbling ourselves, we admit that you are greater, that you are King and Lord of all. So may we make that decision this morning, if we have not done so already, that we would stop living for ourselves and thinking that we're in charge, as we talked about a few weeks ago, that we would not respond to this birth announcement like Herod did, fearful of losing control and power of our lives, but we would joyfully lay down our lives and say, Lord, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so, Lord, would you be glorified in all of this, and would you work this out in our hearts and minds, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was born that evening to Mary and Joseph. And again, while shepherds and angels declared this arrival with great displaying in the heavenly host of the glory of God, the rest of the world was relatively unaware of what happened that night. Even the religious scribes and, and those that knew the word of God that, that Herod brought before him and said, where is he going to be born? And they said, oh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. We know it. The word says it. They stayed at the palace, never going to investigate if it really came to pass. I want to talk this morning a little bit about the kingship of Jesus Christ. What does it mean that he is born king? And what does that have to do with the Old Testament? And what God has already been doing through his word? Well, the first thing we have to note is that he is born according to his Humanity, as far as coming from the line of Joseph being born of a virgin, he was born in the line of David. Now, here we see David being the Old Testament king, the second king of Israel. He's followed after, he comes after rather Saul. So Saul was king appointed by the people. David was king chosen by God. And David and God had a very close relationship. And there's many things that take place in the life of David that affect future generations and even affects the prophecy regarding the coming Messiah. We see here in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, look what it says here, which is Christ the Lord. The angels addressed to the shepherd connects Jesus and his birth with the person and the line of David. This again is reference to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And connects Jesus to the very house of David being born in Bethlehem. Now something of note that you should pay attention to is who are the first ones that receive the birth announcement of Jesus Christ? It's the shepherds out guarding their flock by night, caring for the sheep. Isn't it amazing that shepherds, as been talked about many different times, could not testify, could not have their testimony accounted for much because they were just shepherds. 
But isn't it interesting that most likely these shepherds were performing the same duties in the same region, in the same area where David was performing his duties as a shepherd before he was elected and voted in as king. So David is out shepherding and caring for his sheep and, and the prophet comes to anoint the future king and, and Jesse doesn't even bring Jesse in or bring David in from the, the field. David's own father says, well, it's just David's out there, but it can't be David. Isn't it amazing that the shepherd David was kind of pushed aside and not thought highly of by his own father? And here we see these shepherds kind of pushed aside and not thought very highly of by society. And yet just as God chose David, so God chose these shepherds to receive this knowledge of the coming of Christ. That he was born. I love that God does these things and shows us these moments because so often we feel as though because we're not nationally known, famous, popular, we're not highly accepted by others maybe because of stands we made or things we've said. People don't think highly of us. They kind of look, they're not really much to look at. I'm so thankful that in Christ, he looks beyond all of that. See, God doesn't look on the outward. God looks on the heart. And the same way that God chose David, God chose these shepherds, I believe that in Christ, God is choosing you and, and giving you all that you need to do what he's calling you to do. You may not feel like you're quite there yet, quite ready, quite qualified, equipped, but I promise you, God is giving you all that you need in Christ. Just as David was overlooked by his own family, these shepherds were overlooked by the religious elite. However, what a praise that God does not view us as the world does. But he sees the heart and he chose them. You see, this declaration to the shepherds connects Jesus to the house of David. Secondly, we can turn over there, Matthew chapter 1. So you're in the book of Luke. You go back through Mark and then back to Matthew. So Matthew chapter 1, we're going to see that not only did the angels connect Jesus to David through being born in Bethlehem and the, the declaration to the shepherds, we also see that, that the angel connects Jesus to David through the knowledge that he gives Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 18. So Matthew 1 in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now that verse is one verse in our Bible, but there is a lot in that verse. There is so much happening there. And I won't expound on all of it and, and really kind of dive into everything. But one key thing is that word espoused is not engaged. So many people go, well, it was like they were engaged. No, it's nothing like engagement in our culture. See, engagement is basically just dating with a future commitment of marriage. And if you break up with somebody you're engaged to, you just break up. In this culture, at this time, they're basically legally married apart from enjoying the intimacy of marriage. So the only way they can be separated, the story basically goes, Mary shows up pregnant, already married to Joseph. And according to the law of God, she's in sin. And there's two options. He could either divorce her or have her stoned and killed publicly. So listen to what Joseph wrestles with. 
Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, again, not her fiancé, her husband, being a just man, so he's desiring to do what God would have him to do, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. So what's Joseph's heart towards Mary? Now, I love this woman. I don't want to see that. No, no, I'm just going to make it a private matter. We'll just divorce quietly. We're not going to make a scene. And and we'll just kind of let it rest. But while he thought on these things, praise God for men who think through things. Seriously. There's great wisdom in just thinking through. And by the way, I say that because this is Joseph doing that. We all should pause and think and seek wisdom before we just speak or react. But if I can just step to the side for a second as a husband and as a dad, I'm going to speak to the husband's dads in the room, the men in the room. Maybe you're not married yet. Maybe you don't have children yet. But one day, maybe that'll happen if the Lord wills. Men, we need to be men who think things through. Don't just react. Listen, my greatest weakness is I react before I think. I do. With my children, with situations, I just start talking or start reacting. And then I realize that wasn't what I should have said. But man, to be a man who thinks through what we're going to say, who doesn't just respond to the situation in our knowledge, in our wisdom, but prays and seeks wisdom from the Lord. Lord, Lord, let me be slow to speak, slow to wrath, but quick to hear, quick to listen to your word, quick to listen to wise counsel. That wasn't even in the notes, so let's keep going. Verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. Praise God for a man who thinks, and a man who acts in obedience to God's will. I love that. I know Joseph doesn't get a lot of attention in the birth account of Jesus, and we don't know what happens to Joseph through the life of Christ. Many different people have speculated, but I'm praising God for a man of God that said, I'm going to think about this thing, and I'm going to believe God and obey his word. goes on to say this. Then Joseph, being raised from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Did you catch there the connection that Jesus or the connection that the angel makes between Joseph, Jesus, and David? He declares that you are Joseph, son of David. It places Joseph in the royal line and again connects Jesus to the throne of David. The angel also speaks to this royal line to Mary in Luke 1:32. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. In another account of genealogy in Luke, it's believed that actually Mary's line is also in the line of David. And so we see here that this angel is making a declaration in Matthew 1, Luke 1, that there is a connection between Jesus Christ and this throne of David that the angel says, shall be no end. So this is connecting back to a covenant that God made with David. 
God has made very key and important covenant in the ministry of Christ. And one day they all will be fulfilled. So let me just give you this. And again, these are in your notes. And so if you don't um, have paper and pen, they're, they're there as well if you want to get them on there. But the first and most important covenant we see is the covenant with Adam and Eve. And we're not going to turn to all these. But we're just going to kind of move through here to show you the connection to all of this in Christ. The covenant with Adam and Eve, Genesis 3 and verse 16. He, God promised that one would come who would crush the head of the serpent. One who would come and show victory over the adversary, the enemy, Satan. One would come that would be promised to rescue us from the enemy. He also, in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, makes a covenant with Abraham. And what is the basic idea of the covenant with Abraham? That all nations, all families of the earth will be blessed through the descendants of Abraham, specifically one descendant, specifically from one tribe. Then we see the covenant with Moses in Exodus 19, 5 through 6. This is the idea that God told the people in Exodus 5, 19, 5 through 6, said, I will make you a people. I will make you a holy nation. A nation of, of priests, those that will come and know me, have a relationship with me, if you obey my commands. He gives them the law of God. It says, if you obey my commands, I will make you this holy nation. I will make you my people. Now, what's amazing about that covenant is God kept his word. We broke our part. We did not obey his commands. We did not obey his word. But I want to turn. I'm just going to turn there quickly. You can if you'd like. First Peter 2. Because I love this. This is, again, a covenant God is making with mankind. If you obey my commandments, I will make you a nation of a holy people. And in Christ, we see this being fulfilled, not because we obeyed, but because Christ obeyed. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Peter speaking to the church, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. How in the world did we become a people unto God, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a people that are chosen generation, that have obtained mercy and grace of God, not because we kept the commandments of God, but because Jesus Christ in his sinless life kept the commandments of God. Jesus Christ fulfilled that covenant and fulfilled every covenant that needed to be fulfilled that we would have a relationship with Christ. So we see the covenant with Adam and Eve fulfilled and being fulfilled in Christ. The covenant with Abraham fulfilled and being fulfilled in Christ. The covenant with Moses fulfilled and being fulfilled in Christ. And lastly, for our sake this morning, what we're kind of diving into, the covenant with David. Now I'm going to ask you to turn there, and I know we're going through a lot of scripture this morning. As I was preparing this morning, I said, I feel this is more like a Bible study than a sermon. But praise God for his word, amen? Second Samuel, go there with me in the Old Testament. Second Samuel, we're going to be in chapter 7. Second Samuel, chapter 7. So if you're it's in those books, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, it's the first of those first and seconds, if you will. Second Samuel chapter seven. 
Here we see this amazing story of all that's going on with the life of David, according for us in Samuel, as well as in Kings. But I want to dive into just this one part here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 16 and 17. So the prophet Nathan is prophesying to David and declaring to him this promise that God has made. But this is an enjoyable moment for David. It's not so enjoyable the next time Nathaniel shows up. But 2 Samuel chapter 7, look at verse 16. And thy house and thy kingdom. Now, you can study this all out. This has to do with David wanting to build a house for the Lord. He's distraught because there's a palace. The people are living in houses. He's living in a house. But God doesn't have a house. And he wants to build God a temple. And you can study out all that happens here. But God says basically to David, that's not my will for you. You will not build my house. But he says, but I will build you a house. And that house will never end. The lineage will continue and your kingdom will always remain. Listen to what he says here. And thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all his, this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. This is what's called the Davidic covenant or the covenant with David. Now I have to pause here. I mentioned this a moment ago. This covenant is made with David the king before he sins with Bathsheba, before he has Uriah killed, before he takes the census in his pride, which brings judgment, even greater judgment than the sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. This is all before that. David hasn't committed any of those acts yet. And yet before all of that, God says, David, I'm making a covenant with you that your kingdom, that your throne will reign forever and your house will go forever. Now, why do we need to pause and note that? Because I take great comfort in knowing that God is revealing to us that we cannot stop the will of God from being accomplished in this world or in our lives. David, obviously, we know, repented and God used him in mighty ways. He repented of those things and he came to knowing or to understanding that he was wrong in those things and cried out for mercy and grace and he was forgiven. However, before he sinned, and before he repented, God guaranteed that he would continually bless the house of David and use David and his line for the coming of Christ. You see, God will continually accomplish his purpose and his plan in this world. Now, does that mean we sin that grace may abound? Of course not. If we want to be involved in what God is doing in a way that pleases him, we repent of our sin and we trust Christ and we look to him. But when you blow it and you miss it, and you miss that mark, and you don't do exactly what you're supposed to do, you're not perfectly obedient, you have not stopped God's will from being done. You and I are not that powerful. God's will will be accomplished. He was born king. He is king. And he will always be king of kings and lord of lords. Whether you and I submit to that authority or not, believe it or not, he is king. He rules and he reigns. You know, I've heard people say, you've heard people say this too, I'm so thankful the Lord never gave up on me. But here's the truth of it. The reason you believe God never gave up on you and God has not given up on you is because it has nothing to do with you. The truth of the matter is God never trusted you and I in the first place. The reason God never gave up on you is because he just pure up on him, his own promises to his faithfulness and to his word. He keeps us purely because of his grace and his mercy. Philippians 1.6 is such a blessing 
Because it says that God will finish what he started in Christ Jesus. That he will complete what he began in your salvation through Christ. God has not given up on you. God never gave up on David. God doesn't give up on us in Christ because he is the one holding us to him. It is us who constantly gives up on God. It is us who constantly turn our back on him. It is us who constantly disobey him. And it doesn't mean we just keep doing that willfully with no consequence. But in Christ, when we give up on him and when we turn our back on him, he is faithful and just and he will hold on to us. The angel in Matthew 1, Luke 1, Luke 2, all throughout the birth account, we see this connection back to David. And I believe it's God wanting us to know that Jesus Christ is the one who fulfills this prophecy. In recognizing this connection to the covenant that God made with David, I believe we can see two key things, and then we're going to close. Two key things, quickly. The first thing, his throne will last forever. Second Samuel seven sixteen. you can also reference Luke one thirty three that the throne that is established is established by God. Therefore, it is secure as long as God lives and exists, which is forever. Therefore, the throne of David, the throne of Christ, will go on forever. Now, this obviously is not speaking of the literal person of David, because David did not live forever. Obviously, we know that he died. He ceased to live. And actually, in Acts chapter 2, verse 29, Peter says we can go to the tomb where David's bones are. We know that David, is his body, in a sense, is there. His bones are there. What is this talking about, though? It's talking about the lineage of David, the descendants of of David, the power and reign of the verse eight, where the author of Hebrews affirms that his throne is forever. Peter affirms this fulfillment in Luke, or Acts chapter two, again written by Luke. Acts chapter two, verses thirty through thirty-six, when he talks about the resurrection of Christ, affirms that the reign of God's throne will last forever. When the Father rose Jesus from the dead, he was publicly declaring that the sacrifice of sin was approved. And the name and the reign of Christ will be forever. Now, why is that so important to note that? Because no matter what we go through in this life, he reigns. It is forever. There is no end. It doesn't matter what we go through in this life, what goes on in our nation, what goes on in our world around us, the chaos and all of that that we see around us or we think is chaos and tragedy. God is on his throne. It lasts forever. But not only does his throne last forever, he reigns over all creation. And I'll give you some more references here. Matthew 28, 18. All power, all authority is given to Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. Colossians 1, 18. What do all of these verses and these passages have in, in common? That Christ reigns over all. That there is no limit to his authority. He has preeminence in all of creation. He is the highly exalted one. The king of kings who one day every knee will bow before and recognize as king. So what comfort does that bring to our lives? What peace does that provide for us in this world today? We do not have to convince or carry the burden, rather, of convincing others of the supremacy of Christ. We live under his mighty hand and joyfully 
submitting to his will. We live that example of what it means to submit to Christ. And when the time is right, he will set all things right. He will make all things right. So as we rejoice over the birth announcement of the one who was born king, let us not forget that this one who was born in a manger currently sits in authority over all creation, worthy of all praise. And I want to pause one question as we close. How do you, you don't need to answer out loud, but how do you know Christ this morning? Do you know him as Lord and Savior? Do you know him as King and Master of your life? Do you know him as the one that you submit to and live under his authority and joyfully follow his will, not perfectly, but in grace, striving to follow him more today than yesterday? Have you received the birth announcement this morning with great joy? Or are you sitting before us today, maybe watching online, and you would say, yeah, I don't know him like that. I I mean, I celebrate Christmas. I love giving and giving gifts, and it's great. It's a great time of year, the magic of the season and the spirit of Christmas and all these other things that we say. But if you don't know Christ as Lord and King, one day you will be before this King. And you will not be able to say, oh, no, 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 I don't believe I don't believe that you're king of my life. Because at that point, you will be forced to your knees and you will be in subjection to him, not as Lord and Savior, but as judge. And you will hear the words that I pray none of us will hear. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And who is God to judge you? Who is God to judge me? He is king. He has all authority. He has all rule and reign. And we submit either now receiving grace or we will submit one day under the authority of his name being Jesus, the King of Kings. So how do you know Christ today? If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then today you can receive the gift of salvation. Father, you know my heart this morning and I pray that I did not get in the way of what you desired to do this morning. I pray that my words were glorifying to you. But I, I know, Lord, that I am weak and feeble. And I am unable to communicate the fullness of what you have for us this morning. And so I'm so thankful, even in my inability to communicate, that your spirit is working, taking the truth of the word and applying it to our hearts and minds. And so, Lord, I pray that we would respond faithfully and joyfully in submission to what you're doing. Lord, thank you for your word and for the connection that we see that everything that was promised has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. When there was no way, you made a way. When there was no hope, you gave us hope. And so I pray that if there's anyone here that has not received you as their personal Lord and Savior, they would make that decision today, receiving the greatest gift that they could ever receive, eternal life, repenting of their sins and trusting in Christ by faith, receiving grace, and being able to live under that amazing authority and the joy of having that relationship with you. So Father, would you just give us wisdom in all of this? Apply it to our lives that we would leave here changed. Lord, for the one that knows you as our Lord and Savior, but still trying to live in their own will. 
be their own king. I pray that you would break that in them. You would humble them as you need to humble me. And we would not stand in pride before you, but we would stand humble, gracious receivers of your love and gift of grace. And so, Father, would you do all that needs to be done this morning by the working of your spirit. We'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing a song of invitation? However it is that God is respond or God is working, would you respond? Would you come and pray? Maybe here at the altar, maybe there in your seats, whatever God is doing. Will you submit to him this morning as King of Kings? Honor him, give him all praise and glory as we sing and worship the Lord.